Hey guys, this is not your episode of Cult of Lore. I'm Ben. I'm Eric. And I'm Jerry. And today we're going to interrupt your show very briefly with a special announcement. We have a way of us making money. Woo! <laughs> not a lot of money, but it does take quite a lot of effort for us to do this. A lot of time. More specifically time than effort, but a lot of time. <laughs> a lot of tears. A lot of and sweat. Tears, sweat, sleepless Fu- nights. We keep future Eric in a slave tent. <laughs> it's terrible. Not even a building, a tent. <laughs> so, how can you support the show? You will find a link in the description and or show notes. And that is where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month to support the show. If you want to know what that'll go to for Call of Lore directly, that's going to go into us more uh, sound stuff for us to be able to work on the quotes in particular, that's a direction that that we want to go into heavily. But also, it'll also go towards helping with animation, our equipment. We need new mics, mic stands, oh, yeah, headphones. Like we have one laptop that, much like Future Eric, is just a slave to our whims. And the machine god really hates that. <laughs> All of that will go towards this. You'll also help by supporting us. Uh, we'll be able to do more with the show, more fancy stuff. So click the uh, support the show link, subscribe, join the community. We appreciate you. And please leave comments and reviews and five stars. All five stars at all the podcasts, all the different places. With that, we'll wrap it up. Thanks for the support, guys. Please enjoy the show. Appreciate you. We are here. We are many. We see you. We will not stop. We are hungry. another episode of Code of Lore. I'm Ben. I'm Eric. And I'm Jerry. All right. And today's going to be a fun one. We're covering a brand new faction to the 42nd millennium at this time. <laughs> we're actually jumping out of the Horus Heresy and going into the the actual regular timeline, which is kind of always funny to think about, but that's how 40k rolls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and to time. Yep. And today we're, we're going to start our dive into the Great Devourer, also known as the Tyranids. I... Th- so... The Imperium obviously is my favorite faction, but behind them is is the Tyranids. The Tyranids, I think, are fascinating and probably one of the better things that 40K has going for it that makes it unique. They're hungry boys. They are. They are hungry boys. <laughs> Jerry, you're great you're all, for nothing. Right. You're obviously our our newest uh, person to the lore, and you hadn't looked at the Tyranids at all before this. Yeah, I was. What, what did you think of them looking into this? They were always kind of like on the outside. I kept hearing about them, and I was like, okay, that sounds like something interesting. Yeah. And I finally got into it, and I was like, these guys are nuts. <laughs> their their motivation is just completely different from like all the other factions and stuff. And their biology, I thought was neat. Oh yeah, um, all it's all biology, all of it. Yeah, they're just completely a biology force. Yeah, and there's no like. There's no negotiating. 
period. I nope. feel like even you have a better chance negotiating with orcs. Yeah, well, you we know. have rare instances, as they may be, but instances nonetheless of orcs working with the Imperium. Right. Yeah. So. We don't have any instances of, excuse me, we don't have any instances of Tyranids working with anything, including each other. Right. Like other high fleets, we'll get into what that means in a second, other high fleets fighting with each other. Yeah. So they don't, uh, yeah, they don't play no with anyone. No, no language to speak of, which gave us just a little bit of trouble with our opening quote. Uh, obviously, you've heard what we figured out with that, right? By now, yeah, so. we had the option to to go with a quote of what somebody said about the Tyranids, which is always an option, or try to come up with something new. We tried to come up with something kind of our own. Yeah, hopefully you liked it. If you didn't, it's not that I don't care. There's just nothing I can do about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you're going to be hearing it probably. Never mind. I'm not going to say that because we are going to try to to vary up the quotes more going forward. So I won't say what I was going to say, and you yeah. won't understand what I was going to say, so don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, don't worry about it. Don't quote him on that. Don't, don't quote <laughs> me on that at all. Not even a little bit. Anyway, what are Tyranids? What's a high fleet? Why are they different? Let's start there. So the Tyranids are a Xenos race, obviously. They come from outside the Galactic Rim, which means out of all of the players you have on the 40 on the board that is the grim dark of the far future. The Tyranids are the only ones that are from outside this galaxy. So they are yeah. aliens to even the aliens. Yeah. So yeah. even the Necrons, the orcs, not that the orcs really care, but the Eldar, nobody has any idea what's going on with these things for the exception of one person. And we'll get into that a little bit later. All right. So the Tyranids, <clears throat> If you hear my voice crack like a 12-year-old boy, it's because I'm getting over some varying form of... Puberty. Yep. That's a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) You grew out of it. (sighs) Anyway. Sinuses. Sinuses. (laughs) Allergies. Is that what the kids are calling it? (laughs) Anyway. They are a completely organic race of Xenos that don't have any personality or individual conscious. They are a complete hive mind. Yep. They have, they're kind of connected through, they're referred to as synapses. The, the synapse? Synapse, the synapse. Yep. The synapse is kind of the neural network that they all share. And they communicate with each other te- telepathically through, you know, across distance. And they have kind of equivalents, just like you would think they have smaller units they have bigger units and the bigger the unit is the more like connection to the hive mind the synapse that it has right and so they end up acting as kind of bases on the battlefield for the overarching hive mind to control the smaller organisms yeah and then if you are ballsy enough to defeat you know one of the more core synopsy you know synapse guys along the way then they kind of every every smaller tyranid creature below it kind of reverts back to its more feral state because right, it has be- much less direction. Right. So I, I don't want to trace too much onto this because I'm betting Jerry has a lot on this because he is actually... So the Tyranids... And what I will say is that the Tyranids invade our galactic rim through hive fleets. Yeah. And so every time there's a new hive fleet, it gets a new name. And these are basically new waves of Tyranids coming from outside the galactic rim. Most of the time, there are things that are called splinter fleets, which are much smaller fleets that end up breaking off from these larger ones and become their own thing. Yeah. So they do originate 
sort of from inside the Galactic Rim, I guess you could say. Yeah. But but all of the hive fleets come from outside. And the very first one on our list was not the first encounter of Tyranids that mankind has ever had, but the first real documented account. And this is High Fleet Behemoth. Jerry, this is you. Yeah, yeah. I like that they get their names from, they named the High Fleets after like the great beasts of ancient Terran myth. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. And Eric's yes. got so Eric wants to. Uh, he's got a section that we're gonna. Yeah, I want to talk about that a little more in depth later. You know, later on. But if if go oh, yeah, comes but up along spare, the way, by all spare means. no yeah. spare no thought. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, um, so I know Behemoth and uh, what was the other one? Leviathan. We're both in the Book of Job. So uh, yeah, yep. So that's where they got that from. Old, old, the Old Testament monsters are in there. But then yeah. we have ones from. Basically everywhere we have Gorgon, Hydra, Jormungandr from Norse, uh, Norse mythology, mythology, Tiamat from uh, I believe that's Mesopotamian, Mesopotamian Ouroboros, which is a big fat fucking question mark. Yep, yep. I'll I'll talk about what little I know about Ouroboros later on. <laughs> get around to it. <laughs> we'll get around to it. We'll get there. <laughs> but yeah, High Fleet Behemoth was the first major Tyranid High Fleet encountered by the Imperium that I have here in my notes. Yep, mm-hmm. and it was the first tyrannic war, so they were had a name for it. Yep, that's yeah, historically known as the first tyrannic war. Yep, they invaded the planet of Tyran, which I believe was the first documented, right? Yeah, Tyran Primus. Tyran right, Primus. there was cool. a research station there. It was like an ocean planet. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so that makes some sense to the naming convention because a lot of the ancient monsters are also like most of them are associated with the sea. Right. Yeah. 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 Leviathan. Or Interesting. Oh, that, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Jormungandr. Now, of course, we have Kronos, who's like the god of time. Yeah, so he kind of stands out. That is a standout. Yeah, that is a weird but he's one. also, Kronos is also another name for a, a, a titan who's not necessarily time. I, I'm unclear, but apparently there's two Kronos. Kronoses, oh, so there might be, uh, maybe I'll look that up later. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, it was a Adeptus Mechanicus outpost. Oh, yeah. Ah. Mm-hmm. Uh, our and, study boys. Yeah. And uh, one of the guys, Magos Barnack, who was an adept. Magos. 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 He, yeah. That probably explains why it was so well documented. Those guys, they documented everything. Yeah. Because he made like the data codex and then he hid it in a bore shaft like 3,000 meters under the surface. <laughs> yeah. See, there you go. So the, um, that, the there it is. It. That yeah. explains that. Yeah. And that's where uh, Fidus Kripman found it. Kripman. Now, there's a name that we're going to be hearing quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Inquisitor Kripman. Yeah, because he was he was he was following in the wake of the behemoth fleet. Yeah. Finding all these dead worlds. That was just rock. Yeah. Yeah. He was like he kept running on these planets that were just stripped of all life. (laughs) Down. What's going on here? Down to microbiology. There wasn't even bacteria. It was a sterile world. Yeah. Which is not even exterminatus really does that. Wow. I got a bunch of the worlds here that they were going through. They went through Oculus, which was a moon-sized observation station by the Mechanicus. Boy, I bet that didn't take long. Uh, Jaga, which was an orc freebooter's homeworld. Goddamn, man. Anytime you talk about yeah. Tyranids versus orcs, now there's something to see. Yeah. And uh, Thandros, which was like a system. It went through the entire Just system. the whole system. Yeah. Yep. But that's yep. where they had like a telepathic booster matrix. And so when uh, Kripman was trying to send messages to warn the Imperium that this, this was coming, they they couldn't send them because of the sh- the the shadow in the warp. And yes, okay. So what is the shadow in the warp? Yep. So the the Tyranids do not possess a soul. They are completely biomechanical, and everything about them is. 
Their guns are a creature in and of itself that is attached to the host organism through like a parasitic bond. The bullets they shoot are another organism that is designed to self-propel and then depending on what the round does, depending on what the creature does. They, their ships are living ships that they fly in that do not have warp travel. They huh. actually, because they're biomechanical, they can actually afford to wait huh. the vast time that it takes to travel the distances. They don't starve to death. They don't. I right. Mean, they have everything that they need. Right. Currently. Now, now they huh. do have a ship. Oh God, what is it called? I should have looked at it. Study break. Study break. They're called bio ships, aren't they? Yes. But they have one in particular. Is it Narwhal? Yeah. It's like Varwal or something. Yeah. It's spelled different than narwhal, but it's it is, it's yeah. pronounced narwhalized. <laughs> narwhal. Narwhal. Okay, so they do have this ship that's called a narwhal, which is like a small, almost tugboat type ship that basically oh. can ramp up to near warp speed and pulls them along with it. Oh, more more or less. Okay, so by near warp speed, we mean like they're almost going the speed of light. Or they, um, yeah, probably like the speed of light, but you know that's still millions of years to get to some right. Yeah, a lot years. slower than so. Yeah. yeah, so they don't have warp trap, but also they have no presence in the warp. When they die, there's they don't have souls, so they don't influence the warp. But this mass consciousness that they share creates what's called the shadow in the warp, which is a complete dead zone to the warp. Anything ethereal. Like demons dissipate in it. You can't warp travel because of it. Psychers go crazy and like scratch out their own eyeballs and uh, shit around it. They can't send messages. Can't send messages. No, no long term. And, and one of the, the things that whether it's an effect that they intend or whether it's just a pure side effect, we don't know. But it creates an isolating effect over the planets that are being attacked. They can't call for help, which in the 40 in 40k calling for help is not even that great anyway right you still might have to wait you know a few decades or centuries or whatever for them <laughs> for... to tell you no <laughs> we won't be sending anybody for the problem you had 200 years ago yeah so good luck yeah because this fleet was heading straight for ultramar like sort of you know killing all taking planets on its way i wonder right what, i wonder i wonder what drew them to ultramar now there's a theory about what drew the tyranids that, that is a loud dog. I know. She's very, very. She's very been opinionated today. She has been. <laughs> so the neighbors are out. <laughs> Jepper. They're allowed to be outside. It's, it's a beautiful a day. It's a free country dog. I bark at my neighbors too. Oh. I'm not judging. <laughs> oh, hey, no, don't not get me wrong. Back when I worked third shift, me and Gypsy would yell at the kids while they were standing at the bus stop together. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you kids. Yep. <laughs> Go to school. <laughs> Quit fucking around. You're going to get somebody hurt pushing them out in the street. <laughs> okay. So, the like, one of the prevailing theories is, like, the, the Golden Throne is what attracted the Tyranids to our galaxy, right? That psychic beacon. However, right. there's some evidence that that's can't... Well, not that it can't, but it might not be the case. Yeah, I, I saw something that was, like, is not strong enough to have drawn them from where they were at. Well, so... That's base people that say that, and I've heard that from Luton say that, and that's yeah, possible. That's, that's where I got that. Yeah, that's possible. Um, the problem is, is that the metric we use to measure that mm -hmm. is our instruments, right? Like oh, the Imperium yeah. can't detect it from that far away. 
we have no fucking idea how the Tyranids are detecting oh, things. Yeah, and point. therefore, we have no fucking idea what their detection range is. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible not. Yeah. Maybe right. not. But just saying that because the Imperium or what, or the Necrons or the Eldar can't detect it from that far. That... And since they're coming from all directions, it could be that they just ran out of st- Stuff everywhere else. That, right. So there's yeah, the other so theory. So the high fleets, the most horrifying parts of these guys. We have. Yeah. We've already hit it. So so there are three major high fleets, and all three high fleets have come at the galaxy from a different angle, Ugh. which implies that large sections. <coughs> I saw those jowls. <coughs> it's a really nice day out, especially for February. So the streets are a hopping. Yeah. I know. Hey, you want to go outside? Jeffrey, you go get him. Oh, go get him. <laughs> Other way. Go get him. <laughs> Fuck. Where were we? <laughs> Tyranids coming in from different That's right, angles. different galactic planes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, all three hive fleets come in from three sections of the galactic plane, which could indicate that either we're completely surrounded or at least on three corners of it, there, there's some fuckery. Which, in either case, is just way too horrifying for me. That means... Because there's a lot of space between galaxies, guys. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot. I mean, well, so hold on there. You're you're using our space in between galaxies. We have no idea what it looks like beyond the galactic plane there. Fair. That's so, fair. That's but still but terrifying. still, if you're looking at the amount of... If you're looking at the amount of troops that a high fleet can throw at a system, which is in the trillions, yeah, and then you consider that probably what we're looking at is each high fleet is a finger on a on a hand that's yeah we're pretty well fucked yeah because it's kind of um i know i know a lot of fans are kind of frustrated with like a bit of a stalling in the advancement of tyranid lore right they kind of had a yeah, big push and then stopped it it's, that's what it seems to be i almost kind of understand that because it's like these guys are so op it's almost like we we, we need to unravel this slowly <laughs> otherwise I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, maybe. <coughs> Perhaps it's a theory. Yeah, anytime they get defeated, they are slowed down a little bit. So. Yeah, it does slow them down, and it just takes so much to stop these guys. But but they yeah. learn from it too, which yeah, which will become yeah. very apparent. So you said they were heading straight from a crag. They were on their way there, yes. Which is, of course, the home world of the Smurfs. Yeah, they also passed through a uh, Solemnus, which is a Necron tomb world. Right. Yeah, I wonder how. That but happened. they were like, "There's nothing to eat here. No thanks." They went around it. They completely bypassed yeah. the Necrons. Well, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. The Necrons are all metal, so they're not going to eat them. They have nothing to gain from that necessarily. Is mm. it, And is an entire tomb world kind of dead anyway? Or is there usually stuff on it? Well, so that all depends on the tomb world. There have been instances of the Imperium setting up like civilizations on tomb worlds to then have them be like, oh, fuck, Necrons. And then the planet just goes silent because you're not going to win that. Right. Yeah. Bye bye humans. Right. So, so yes and no. It is interesting that the Tyranids. I wonder if that means that if the Necrons and the Tyranids engaged in combat, if the Necrons just like froze and didn't engage them, if they'd completely bypass them, or if the Nids were capable of registering them as a threat. Right. Nah, they've got to be right because they, they fight Mechanicum, right? I figure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I that's interesting. So the the Necrons actually really hate the Tyranids. They do. And mm. they are willing to like work with people they normally wouldn't work with to fight. Oh, the okay. So, so this, they may have actually stricken some form, what might be an equivalent of fear. 
in the Tyranids? <laughs> no, I think it's more likely the other way around. Yeah. I think the Tyranids have inflicted some form of fear on the Necrons. Oh. For I mean, as much as Necrons can feel right emotions. Yeah. Because I'll tell you what, a hidden piece in this is the Silent King, which, of course, is the head of the Necrons, and he's the only one that's really capable of 100% emotional sentience, right? Right, okay. He has reached out to the Blood Angels and has attempted to formulate some kind of negotiation with them, and he was wearing Sanguinius's face. Not literally. He was wearing a mask that was Sanguinius's likeness. And he told the Blood Angels the reason why he did this because he actually, out of all the Primarchs in the entire Imperium itself, Sanguinius was the only one that he actually respected for some reason, whatever reason is, we don't know. But he believed that um, he could come at Sanguinius with this Tyranid problem and that out of everybody, Sanguinius would be the one that would actually listen and would work with him. Okay. Um, We haven't gotten anything else about the context of what that might fucking mean. (laughs) So that's just, you know, one more piece into, and it's looking like the silent King might have returned because of the turn themselves. Okay. Okay. Um, and also he was exploring outside the galactic rim. So he's possibly got firsthand knowledge of probably has firsthand knowledge of what's going on. What the fuck is up? Okay. Yeah. So carry on, Jerry. Uh, they were heading towards McCrag. They were heading towards McCrag. They went through the Necron Tomb World, and then they even ran into some Heretic Astartes on a planet. Boy, uh, I bet that was so. I bet that was weird for the for the hive mind to try to like comprehend what was going on because obviously it had fought humans before. It had mm. fought probably Space Marines. It had probably fought them, and we don't know about it because right. they lost. And no records got out. Correct. So it had a vague idea of what it was fighting with these, but then they start whipping out what are the equivalent of magic powers, and they don't have souls. It was the Death Shadows Renegade chapter. Hmm. I wonder what... Carry on. I'm going to look up and see where they come from. Cool. Uh, finally, they... Oh, okay. Well, uh, Kripman finally got a message to Ultramar, and then, uh-huh. yeah, he went and met with uh, chapter master Marnaeus Calgar. You guys heard of him? Calgar, yes, yeah. he's the head of the Ultramarines. Yeah, he, he kind of comes up with the Tyranids I looked into. Yeah. yeah, so finally they had like warning that was happening, and uh, they sent them to Prandium, which was like a a lush jungle world, like a gardens and forests and genetic craftsmanship. It was like a jewel of that area. Ah, yeah, and it's all life. <laughs> yeah, plants it's and beauty. A, they oh. really wanted to defend this area, but it it didn't end up being a slaughter. Oh. The Tyranids just. Just destroyed everything there. Oh, yeah, it sounds like that'd be a lot of like biomatter that they would be able to get to. Just yeah, uh, yeah. And oh then boy. they went to Calth. Calth. Okay, I didn't have a lot of information on that. But then they went to McCrag. McCrag. Yes. And then there was the Battle of McCrag. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So they finally they decided they needed a new strategy. That's when they switched it up from the Codex Astartes. I think. Oh, is that right? Okay. I think so. So the Battle of McCrag actually kind of changed up. Yeah. So it looks like Okay. So it yeah. looks like they're <coughs> Excuse me. It looks like they're actually from the Dark Angels originally. They and were Who was that again? The the, uh, the Renegade chapter that came across the Tyranids. Okay. The Chaos Marines. Uh-huh. They were once called the Lion Guard, which leads me to believe they were probably Dark Angels, a Dark Angels chapter. Uh right. Okay. Okay. But yeah, so Marnie Calgar, he um 
he was chapter master of the Ultramarines at that point. Mm-hmm. He was uh, taking over for Gilliman, and McCrag came under siege, and I believe they lost most, like, it was something like seventy five percent of the Ultramarines. It was a lot. They lost a lot of them. Yeah, they were like defending the fortress of Hera, which was that's what it was, Hera. Yeah, yeah. So they actually ended up. I think the the majority of the major fight ended up taking place on the poles, the two poles of McCrag. Oh wow! And one of them was that fortress of Hera. Yeah. Do we know what the fortress of Hera is? It was a fortress monastery. Okay. Ooh. A, a it's like an Astartes training. Fort. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like an Astartes training ground. You have okay. to remember, this is McCrag. Everything right. is set up for the training of Ultramarines. Okay. Yep. Yeah, it looks like a lot of the battle happened in space, though. Okay. Because they were able to send one of the flagships into one of their bioships and did the warp explosion. Oh, what was the name of that ship? The Dominus Astra? There it is. Yeah. Dominus Astra. Yeah. So so every high fleet has a flagship, which has what is basically the core bioorganism for each fleet, which is called a Norn Queen. Yeah, the Norn Queen. It's, and a and a Norn Queen it, it it not only reproduces and shits out all of the other versions <laughs> of the Tyranids that become the warriors and whatever else the army uses, but it's also the central point for the hive mind. Right. And they use the the what was it called? The Dominus Astra. It's an Emperor class flagship. Which is a big son That's of a bitch. Big That's ship. a big motherfucker. They overloaded the warp engines and then it like flew it right into where the uh, Norn Queen was. Norn Queen. Oh, which and- then Disrupted everything and caused the entire high fleet to basically go feral, Ooh. which then became much more manageable. And it's just cleaning up wild animals instead of yeah. Now here's the problem wow. with here's the problem with that. The Tyranids have a fail a, sa- a fail safety every time something like this happens. So all of the other high fleets that they didn't know existed were out there. Mm-hmm. Possibly, probably, maybe not Leviathan, but but a lot of the other smaller ones. And then because we know what was it. Uh, Tiamat and Ouroboros were probably already around. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's debatable about Kraken. Kraken probably was at least inbound when you consider how long it takes them to cross space. Right. Right. Every time a high fleet loses a Norn Queen, it means you. Oh, boy. You are something else. You today. are just too. Jepper, you are so disruptive. Hi, Future Eric. <laughs> yeah. Hi, you doing future. okay out there? So you have all these other splinter fleets and all these high, other high fleets that are coming inbound. And, and so when you do kill the Norn Queen of something like uh, behemoth, behemoth, there it is, Jesus. Anytime you kill the Norn Queen on, say, like Behemoth, it sends out a pulse to all the other high fleets and splinter fleets, within, which then tells their Norn Queen to produce another Norn Queen. Oh. oh. Letting them know that there is a faction or something out in the galaxy that's capable of killing a Norn Queen, and therefore they need to produce a backup. A lot of plants like that. Are there really? Yeah. Oh. Cut like a certain part of, off the plant, and then it's like I'm going to make some more. Just more of whatever more. was cut out, cut yeah. off. Yeah. Huh. So, okay. Oh, that's interesting. So it has an inadvertent like you take care of the one in front of you, but if there are any others in your galactic realm, which is likely, right. Then you're only encouraging them to produce more of the the center. Right. So this was their very <laughs> this was their very first encounter with the Tyranids. It really kind of rocked their world. Like Jerry said, um, they had to really revisit the Codex Astartes and whether or not it was 
applicable when facing this foe. And of course it wasn't right. Like, you, like that's just not going to work. You had to adjust for reality. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you have a book that's like your, your Bible of going to war that was made before this foe was ever even known to exist. Obviously mm-hmm. this is not going to work. Yeah. And, and this really is a foe, like something they've never faced before in, in the way that it thinks and operates and correct. Yeah. So what did Tyranids do? We were taught, we talked a little bit about it, about finding these dead planets. What, a, what an invasion does is it completely swarms the planet with basically every type of soldier that it has discovered it's needed along the way. Yeah. And what it does is it takes over the planet and then it converts everything, every organic substance, wood, grass, flesh, bone, it, even bio, uh, microscopic organisms right and it reduces it down into this paste which is then sucked up into the ships yep that it then absorbs the genetic memories of all of this biomass learning about the planet it was on if it's got humans or any other sentient beings that are space traveling it then learns about their space travel wow the technology they have useful biological traits biological traits by defenses and then it uses that knowledge to then rework new soldiers and so the the whole point of a Tyranid high fleet is to attack planets to absorb the bio resources to then roll into new soldiers to then attack more planets. Yeah, because uh, when they uh, kind of make that bio slurry that they suck up into the ships, like all of the soldiers that were on that planet yeah. jump in too. Even yeah, they all of the other down. Tyranids then yeah. just commit themselves into this big like blender to be yeah. reblended, reprocessed. They have no minds of their own, no, no personalities to speak of, with the exception of a few. We'll get there. Yeah, but this is recycling in its purest <laughs> form. They're, yeah, know, they, they are they brutal. Yep. They'll just keep spitting stuff out, sucking back in, and they take like all the water and stuff like that, like anything useful to life too, like not just the the bio stuff, right? But anything useful to that too, anything that provides resource. nourishment, um, yeah. precious metals. It will. It's learned to go after. Oh, no kidding, really? Yeah, because it, it. So like, I think it's Tiamat. Okay, Tiamat. It has like almost di- diamond hard chitin around their bodies. Oh, and it's like absorbing precious metals and stuff to wow. to fashion into more armor. Wow, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse. Yeah, basically the only thing it leaves is rock. That's it. Just the just bare rock. Yep. <laughs> so after so Terrifying. that was so that was the first giant encounter was Behemoth, but then after that came another high fleet, Kronos. Or no, Kraken. 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 There it is. Kraken came next. And I think was this I keep wanting to say it was about two hundred years later. Am I correct on that? So 745 to 990. Okay. You guys do the math on that one. This is lore, not math podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> in the 200 esh years later, which is for the 40K timeline is nothing. Not a whole lot. No, that's pretty fucking quick, especially for yeah. something that's that devastating. Yeah. But they did think that they had more or less handled the Tyranid threat by that point. Like Behemoth had kind of rolled in like a wrecking ball. And through great sacrifice, they destroyed it. Uh, Gorgon was or around a little bit. Destroy it, but um, so Gorgon, okay, uh, was is a splinter fleet. It's not big at all. Okay, um, it attacked the Tau. Oh, and those poor guys. They handled it pretty. <laughs> they handled it pretty well because they specialize in ranged warfare. Oh, good. But in response <laughs> to that, Gorgon actually developed bio weapons they became more like shit gas and 
plague. They became more like fighting Nurgle. You can't shoot gas. Right. You know? Yeah. Precisely. Wow. So Gorgon kind of came and went in that time. Right. But I don't think the Imperium was really all that aware of Gorgon. Right. So they might not have even been familiar with this Splinter Fleet happening in between Behemoth and Kraken. Yeah. So in the in the prelude to Kraken showing up in force, um, of course, it was kind of the same with Behemoth. Uh, uh, the planets were kind of just whoop, going quiet, you know, and not much information was going out here and there. There were different encounters where it's just like, eh, these guys disappeared. Um, but on the planet of... I think it's pronounced Icar or Icar, I C H A R. I think it's Icar. Yeah, I mean four, Icar four. Yeah, that sounds about right. Sounds good. Um, they had, it wasn't just them, but uh, also, just a big group of planets in the area started having like a lot of uh, uh, un unrest that was escalating riots and so forth, and um, the Imperium investigated, and they kind of found that there was a great big cult called the brotherhood that was growing in power i love this is my favorite aspect of the tyrannids right here <laughs> I, who, whoever i know there were some people that were actually pissed off that they rolled the gene stealers into the tyrannids because they like <laughs> them being kind of their own faction i yeah. think it's fucking great yeah i i like it too it adds to the threat of it, them it adds more. a dimension to the tyrannids that you wouldn't consider yeah so so it was kind of discovered that the brotherhood was a gene stealer cult it was a big to-do. Um, they did come to a point where they thought that they had defeated this Gene Stealer cult, and it went quiet for a little bit. All right. So what is a Gene Stealer cult? Yes. Let's we should, yeah, let's that do work. that. Okay. So 30,000-foot overview of the Gene Stealer cult, because we want to do a whole episode. Yeah, they're going to get their own. Cults, yeah. Is this. Here we go. So the Gene Stealer is actually kind of the infiltration unit that's required by most Tyranid Hive fleets. It's kind of like a Xenomorph, only on crack. It's got four arms, tends to blend in, and like infiltrates or uh, planets by riding into space hulks, abandoned ships, space junk, anything that it can hide on. And when it lands, it then takes a little while sampling little various things here, food, water, air, trying to figure out exactly what planet it lives on because it has this gene figure out. That's why it's called a gene stealer. Anything it samples, it can then retain the knowledge of that genetics. Then once it's figured out where it's at and what the dominant life form of that planet is, it then stings a host, which then implants its own genetics inside of the host. The host then gets overtaken by the gene stealer genetics, but then causes it to do want to do one thing. Fuck and fuck a lot. <laughs> so if it has a mate, they start fucking, which then implants the gen the gene stealer genetics into the female, which then becomes pregnant and has an offspring. Now, this offspring will look very much like the original gene stealer with a little bit of human traits thrown in. This doesn't alarm the parents because the parents are now flooded with gene stealer hormones, which then makes them very defensive of the child. They then hide the child. And the gene stealer goes around doing this to various places. And so what the gene stealer cult will do will then link up with the hive mind of the the gene stealer, which then teaches them to basically overthrow the government. And this only happens once a high fleet is within a certain range of the planet. The high fleet sends out a pulse, which then drives the, the gene stealer cult crazy, and they lead an uprising, which then destabilizes the entire planet for the Tyranids to then invade. Each subsequent generation of gene stealer cultists that is bred looks more and more human. So in a very short amount of time, you have gene stealer cults that look incredibly human and have infiltrated the highest forms of government. Many of them not even entirely sure that they are gene stealer cults until they're activated by the high fleet. Well done. I feel like you deserve a round of applause. That's fine. That was good. 
But anyway, that's a Gene Stiller call. Right on. So that happened on ICAR, and they thought they took care of it. So when, you know, like Ben said, you know, they go crazy because they get a pulse from the Hive Fleet. Well, the Hive Fleet arrives later and um, starts, and this is Hive Fleet Kraken. And uh, it Kraken is different from Behemoth in that it had gone out in what's what's referred to as tendrils through the galaxy. You know, which is how they came up with the name Kraken. Probably. Yeah, probably so. Probably, it gives yeah. me that image of of the tentacles reaching out because it's you know split little splinter hive fleets going out, and they're all really part of the same one, and they're just there's actually going in different ways. There is a really cool map of the galaxy that shows the different tendrils of the hive fleets. You'll find it right. Yeah. Yeah, and see, there's tentacles right there. Mm -hmm. It looks like tentacles. All of the tentacles. All of the tentacles. Jerry, do you want to talk about the tentacles? Well, you see, they uh, it's how you make a octopus laugh when you give it ten tickles. That's oh. not what I meant. <laughs> you know, I gave you, yeah, I gave you a perfectly good layup. You could have taken that in some real shit because he had, had to look up imagery for what you're finding. And then he had to find a way to censor it. But no, you had to go with a goddamn pun. <laughs> that is the last time I fucking help you. Taking it back to PG. <laughs> taking it, taking PG back. <laughs> so disappointing. <laughs> so Kraken is already behaving very differently from Behemoth, but then par uh, large parts of it start kind of converging towards Icar. Icar. I've said it different every time. What did we agree on it? Icar. Icar four starts converging and massing up right around it, and when those fuckers showed up. Um, the gene stealer cult that had not been wiped out emerged from the underground where it had been thriving and started attacking this planet. Yeah. While it's also being assaulted from space by High Fleet Kraken. I know. The gene stealer cults, man, those are so fucking cool. Oh, man. It's brutal. Like, this shit would just make a good... I want to see, like, a horror movie set, you know, here on Earth in our time where you know the gene stealer cult comes up and then you know what's you know what's fucking crazy about the gene stealer cult is while they're connected to the hive mind and like all of this is going on and the uprising is happening and even while you know before that when they're kind of laying in wait the hive mind and the the kind of chemicals that they're injected with give them this like the saviors from the stars will come and deliver us all from our pain and sorrows right uh -huh. that's kind of what they're preaching while it's going on but there comes a point in time where the invasion is over, the enemy has lost, and it's time for the gene stealer cult to be part of the bio paste. Yep. And so yep. what it what the hive mind does is then sever the link from the hive mind, and all of the gene stealers are like, wait, what? And oh, then they get eaten. <laughs> no, that's so terrible. <laughs> I mean, they deserve it, but they do. I mean, they kind of don't though, because it's all chemically induced and stuff. Eh, fuck them. Yeah, I know. Yeah, man, what a terrible, terrible, terrible like feeling of just like mm. sudden. Oh God, I was wrong this whole time. Trish, your sudden but inevitable betrayal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, they are having a hard time with High Fleet Kraken here on Icar Four, and Chapter Master Kalgar shows up. So he's a veteran of the first Tyrannic War. This yep. is the beginning of the second Tyrannic War. <laughs> And so he comes in. That would suck to be like, what's your specialty? Oh, I Tyranids. Yeah. Like, oh, that oh, would be boy. just such a bleak, <laughs> bleak Good luck. fight. Jesus Christ. It's yeah. Because like every other faction, you can at least fight them and you have a way to like emotionally satisfy yourself by pissing them off, right? Yeah. 
you can't there's no like personal injury you can deliver these fucking things they don't care no not at all and so this fight it took it was roughly a year of close quarters combat basically that just right that's what the nids are good at yep that's what they're good at and they won we as in the imperium they won but that planet was fucked yeah there was nothing it was rubble basically space rubble by the time that shit was over with uh meanwhile and at the same time which actually contributes to how they were able to win is uh hive fleet kraken was also sending a large conglomerate of tendrils at um the eldar craft world yandin that Mm. is the pronunciation i'm going to go with i-y-a-n-d-e-n see how fucked is that it's like the Calgar and the Ultramarines were fighting the fuck out of Kraken and to the point where they basically busted a planet doing it. It's like, oh yeah, but this is a like a secondary fight that this thing's having right. on the side while it's fighting this other thing as well. Yeah, it's having <laughs> two fights simultaneously. It's like, can you imagine if it just decided all at one time to turn and be like, hey, you guys. Yeah, and, and that is kind of the, the prevailing theory. It's like, so this, it, it is, um, in my opinion, like a step up from Behemoth where it's like, okay, now we're going to start sending okay probe for weaknesses come in from different angles right whereas so behemoth was just an just an a brute hide yeah which is which is why i love behemoth yeah the most. it's just this bo- full body press <laughs> of just billions of organisms <laughs> but but it, it's like let's see what's going on here yeah it just reminds me of that scene from starship troopers where they look over the wall and the arachnids there's just thousands of them yeah. coming straight at them and it's like there's no amount of firepower you can put that they're going to give a shit about right <laughs> like, good bug is a dead bug <laughs> by the way that might be one that could be tied to 40k i'd be interested in that Ooh, argument. that would be a good one just kind of like we did for event horizon yep. i like it service guarantees citizenship <laughs> <laughs> bailey's over there giving me the old dick eye she loves that movie <laughs> <laughs> so anyway um, so the secondary tendril of kraken is committed to attacking the craft world um and these Eldar are having a pretty rough time. Again, as you can imagine, like it's it's nuts. It, they get to the point where they're pretty desperate. They decide to commit. Uh, I think it's called Ghost Warriors, um, which is the Eldar. When the Eldar take uh, the souls of their past Eldar, we've talked about this in our one of our Eldar episodes. Check those out, Jerry. You were, you were you there for the Eldar episodes? I don't remember this. Okay, so no, quick recap, real quick. Yeah. When an Eldar dies to save them from going to. Uh, Slanesh. Slanesh, the the hell of strap-ons and leather and paintings. Yep. To save their souls from automatically going there, they put them in a like a soul stone. And what this does soul is Soul Stone, that was a word, Jesus. And what this allows them to do is use they live on inside of that stone and then they can plug them into their technology to power things and they also yep. live. Like it's consider yeah. it's great. It's they enjoy it because they can converse with everybody. And then they can also communicate with the souls in the other stones. Yeah, so a craft world kind of becomes this it, kind of its own hive mind in a way of individuals that can communicate with the living Eldar aboard the world. Basically, okay. you know, they it's, it's get, a like, ship. An eternal but, life that way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And they also power their titans. <clears throat> so instead of a machine spirit, there, there, it's the spirit of this Eldar. It's usually the ancestor of whoever's piloting. Right. Oh, that's cool. And so these and. and the soul stones are like really precious to them. So to actually put those in, like they're basically dreadnoughts. Yeah. Dreadnoughts. They're mechanical bodies that they're putting these in to commit them to. It's like, yeah. Like how the Imperium takes the Astartes, puts them in the sarcophagus. Oh yeah. They take the soul stone and put it into a mech to fight. Yeah. And you know, if something happens to that, then there goes the soul. 
So it's a it's like this is a this is a very last ditch effort. And, and they you, ha- had, you have to keep in mind that Eldar are an endangered species. They are an endangered species, and they have uh, an overwhelming sense of self importance. On top of that, oh yeah, there's yeah. Cocky, man. Yeah, there's. <laughs> Every time in a book where they're like, yes, monkey, I was like, motherfucker, I'll kill you myself. <laughs> like, monkey shit my ass. So they have, you know, the Ghost Warriors committed. And on top of that, they're working on committing um, the avatar of their war god. Kayla Mencha Kane. Kayla Mencha Kane, who they can, at great cost, summon, you know, he forms a body in real space and is able to help them fight. And stuff like that. I don't know a whole lot about all that. But it's I know it's not an easy thing to do. So these are two very drastic measures that they are taking on. Um and um the uh we, we didn't talk about swarm lords yet. Okay. Let's, no, it's not swarm lords. Swarm, it's the swarm lord. The swarm lord. I'm so sorry. Okay, yes. so who is the swarm lord? So the basically field general of the Tyranids is called the Hierophant? <sighs> no, that's no. their Titan. Okay. Hive Tyrant. There it is. Came to me from the ether. It's called a Hive Tyrant. Basically, that's the field commander. It's the strongest link to the Norn Queen that is boots, like boots hooves on the ground. On the ground basically. <laughs> or claws. Yeah, or yeah basically. Tentacles. Um, <laughs> there is a special Hive Tyrant that is called the Swarm Lord, and he was fighting. Cal- he was the one that headed the Battle of McCrag. Oh, sure. that's right. Ooh, okay. Yep. yep. He fought Calgar. He fought, fought Calgar, and he is one of two personalities that the hive mind seems to have that has shown up in other hive fleets. Now, the other one is called Old One-Eye. He's a Carnifax, which is basically like their version of a tank. I think you have him there. I have his name here, yes. Yeah, it's basically a Tyranid version of a tank. He shows up in Behemoth, and he keeps being reborn, but always in Behemoth colors, right? The red and blue. Yeah, yeah, he keeps mm. coming. They keep thinking they've killed him, and he keeps coming back. Right. It's like, it's the exact same fucking guy. The yeah. hive tyrant this or the swarm lord actually yeah. appears in other hive fleets, so it's like a personality that's transferred from different hive fleets. Okay, and he's just taking a different body. Yeah, it's the exact same, same body, body, just different colors. Thing. Oh, huh. like he's he looks exactly the same. You'll find a, he's a badass motherfucker. You'll find a picture of him, right? No, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't do that. That's my step. Ah. <laughs> but anyway, he he appeared there. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, and he's a. When he shows up, it's a bad time. Yes. Maybe I, I might be mistaken. Maybe it was a hive tyrant, maybe, or the swarm lord. I actually can't remember now, but I think it's swarm, the it was swarm prob- lord. Yeah. A move like what you're getting ready to talk about is the is probably the swarm lord. Yeah, that's right. Because he uh, he sees the avatar of Calamanche Kane. Just say Kane. Kane. And um he's like, Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fight you head on. And he just sends in just over, you know, all of his mooks, just millions, tons of them, millions of them, swarms them, overwhelms him, drags him down. So the, the avatar is the like, avatar is oh, like yeah. hundreds of feet tall. Yeah. Just this big flaming sword wielding. It looks like kind of like almost like Surtur from Ra- the Marvel oh, Ragnarok. From Ragnarok. Yeah. Something kind of like that. And so just to see millions of organisms just dogpile on this flaming colossus and pull it down and win and win win just through sheer weight of numbers would be fucking nuts an eldar god that is just like what in the world man (laughs) i can't imagine what was going through their minds when when he toppled that had to just collectively all just elf shit all over the floor (laughs) i'd like to see your monkey now while you're changing your britches (laughs) um so even with these two drastic measures, that's not enough. It 
takes um, Prince Uriel uh, to show up and actually uh, he has, I think he's got some sort of bad blood with uh, the craft world because he swore never to go back. He'd never go back there again. He ended up putting his boots on the ground here too. came in, you know, eventually they were able to win out at the cost of, I believe it was 80% of the craft world's population. God only knows how many of their soul stones were lost during that time, but it was like a detriment to their culture. Like that, that this ancient culture, like pretty much in a way that, yeah, it just couldn't ever recover from. And the only reason that (laughs) either the craft world or the Imperium planet Icar four were able to survive is because they were both attacked at the same time. If, if high fleet Hydra had just picked a target and swarmed in, it would have gotten either one of them like uh, Frank apparently easily. So there's that there. So they're, they're, Strength. The Hitler maneuver. The Hitler also, maneuver never works. Yeah. <laughs> you don't fight on two fronts, not two, com- not two opposite fronts. No, but it, it, I mean, it was kind of working out for a while up until that point. Like well, they had a, you know, because the problem it was worked out for a while, right? <clears throat> but it was a good counter to the way that uh, the Imperium had handled Behemoth yes. before. Mm-hmm. You know, they their their war front was light years wide, mil, you know, thousands of them wide because. That's just how Kraken operates. But losing these two major conflicts actually did just as much harm to the hive to this hive fleet as it did to its opponents. It was greatly reduced, but uh, not entirely destroyed. Uh, seems to be a common thing among the Tyranids so far. Yeah, right. But also, kind of, they might have kind of shot themselves in the ass with the way they did it because that was the only hive fleet that did two splinter fleets. Right. So after that was, so it splintered off into Jormungandr and Hydra. Oh, okay. Okay. So that they came from Kraken. Yeah. Ah, okay. Well, so it's kind of debatable whether or not a splinter fleet does directly come from a high fleet, but that's kind of seems to be how it like the high fleet comes in and then it's destroyed and then these splinter fleets pop up. Right. Okay. Whether or not they are like directly. Now, there is there is an exception that we'll talk about at the end. Okay. All right. Um, but Jormungandr came out and Jormungandr is kind of cool. I like yeah, them. It was neat. They um Burrow, but basically they don't invade like the rest of the Tyranids do. Their ships have like slingshots on them that they hurl space debris at. Yeah, that has asteroids at the planet that has seeds of burrowing Tyranids on it. And so when it crashes in, they then burrow underground and build an underground army, and then they spring up. Yep, they come up from underground. Everyone's still looking up at the sky, like man, they're still throwing shit at us and trying to you know to go with that stuff that's already gotten through pincer move. Yeah, 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 and so they just emerge emerge from under their feet, and uh, by the time they do that, fuck, right? Yep. And then there's Hydra. So Hydra is actually the smallest of the Splinter fleets overall, huh. but it has a really cool kind. Of, well, cool. It has a neat trick for artificially inflating its numbers. It will go along and pick off other Tyranid Hive Splinter fleets. Oh, so it's like absorbing their own guys, right? Yeah. So then that allows that allows them to put more to produce more soldiers while traveling light but then it also means that you're getting tyranids that are almost steroided because they're tyranids based on tyranids right oh yeah yeah so so those are the two high fleets that splintered off from 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 Kraken. kraken yeah and that leads us into leviathan which is the the final great high fleet that's out right now and kind of leads us up to the front so leviathan Leviathan came around in in 997 M41 so these all didn't I mean it was a short amount of time comparatively speaking. Yeah. Leviathan 
uh, came. So whereas the other Tyranids came from along the galactic rim, like if you think of it as a plate, the Tyranids came in from along the edge line, right? Uh huh. Leviathan was the first one to come up from underneath. So like through the galactic south, I yep. guess is one through the it. flat side, basically. Yeah. yeah. And what this allowed it to do is when it came in, it penetrated much deeper into the Imperium than the ones coming in from the edges. Yeah. And it provided a lot less warning. And they specifically targeted the ball system, which is the home of the Blood Angels. Oh, which, okay. of course, are my guys. Yeah. And also interesting that because they're, they're the ones that the Necron King or the Silent King was trying to get a hold of. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. they, so Leviathan is, seems to be kind of uh, more or less a, a collection of all of the different ones that have appeared before. It does all of the things that all of the other ones do. Oh, okay. It, it will full body press when it can, like Behemoth. It splits off into tendrils like Kraken when it yeah. needs to. It produces heavy um, toxins. Like it does it all. And it even included psychers. Mm. Oh, psychers. <laughs> Tyranids with psychers. They're called zoanthropes. You'll find a picture of it now. It's a giant, basically a giant floating head. And I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that the strongest human psyker not counting the emperor, of course, which would be like Malkador is like a level nine psyker and zoanthropes are tens and elevens. They're so powerful that they actually have been known to spontaneous burst into flames in the middle of battle because they just keep pumping out psychic powers until they overload and explode. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Ah, (laughs) Which makes sense. They they don't have any, any inhibition, like no, no, it's like not ah that hurts. I need to stop. Like it overcomes just, their like a the entire galaxy that they've destroyed and learned is all biological stuff, and it overcomes their the biological capabilities that they have. Right from yeah. all of that, all those natural stoppers from it. Yeah, yeah. like yeah, and just hmm. indeed. So what this leads to is a basically a head-on match between Leviathan and the Blood Angels on Ball, which is their home planet, and this wasn't going to be like a a two-pronged attack. This was a make-or-break fight. Sanguinius's body is entombed on Ball. So can you imagine if a Tyranid High Fleet was to get a hold of Primarch genetics, let alone one that had the gift of foresight? You're talking about a High Fleet that could possibly see the future. Uh, that's terrifying. So this was a make-or-break moment. Um, obviously, Ball is on the other side of the tear. So oh. trying to get reinforcements or communications from the Eye of Terror and the Cicatrix Melodictum, which is the, the split that goes down from the Eye of Terror, uh, makes it almost impossible. So they were pretty much on their own. This led to the Blood Angels calling all of their chapters. This was like everybody involved. Yeah. You have Dante, my man Dante, the chapter master of the Blood Angels with popping tearing heads like the guy from Doom. <laughs> like it was a crazy battle. And... It was more or less a losing battle until two things happened simultaneously, each one as crazy for the Blood Angels as the next. Cabanda. Oh. You remember Cabanda? Yes. The head demon of Corn, who is the arch enemy of the Blood Angels, shows up and teleports the Norn Queen and half of the Hive Fleet away from the ball system and onto like one of the moons. And all they find is a stack of Tyranid skulls with Corn's sign on it. What the Basically, fuck? this was Korn saying that nothing was allowed to wipe out the Blood Angels but him. And so he sent Cabanda to oh. give them a hand, a, a hand. Holy shit. And then Gilliman, you know, newly resurrected Primarch Gilliman, shows up with a metric fuck ton of reinforcements of Primaris Marines. 
Okay. Yeah. It's no secret how I feel about the Primaris Marines. I understand that you guys need to sell new figurines and all this shit, but like, come on, crap. But whatever. It saves my boys, so I can't be too mad. Like, yeah. when Dante dies, and yes, yes, he's going to die. It's Warhammer. It is. That's going to hurt. <laughs> he's so, he's so, I love his story. He's so tired. And I, I want him to, he, <laughs> I so want, tired. he is, he's, he's the oldest living space Marine right now. And he literally just wants to die so he can rest. But he also believes down to his core that he that he's living for some ultimate purpose that he needs to to fulfill first. And then he's he'll be allowed to pass on. And he had a vision of it, of him standing in front of the golden throne and like some light, some light emits. So we don't know what that is, but he's going to keep going until then. I I love his story. (laughs) But so that that combination basically breaks off Leviathan. And Leviathan doesn't splinter fleet too much. There is one splinter fleet called Kronos, but Leviathan largely stays intact and then kind of dissipates itself and sends it off elsewhere. So it thins itself out. Ah, okay. But that makes it easier to... So, okay. So between big fights, it's just like, ah, good luck hitting me, you know? Correct. Just little pieces here and there. We have no idea what it's really doing right now. Right. And so the splinter fleet from that is Kronos. Kronos is actually kind of cool. They're a ranged-based splinter fleet, and they oh. specialize in dealing with um, chaos. Really? So because of the Sycatrix Melodictum is so close to Ball, when Leviathan got dissipated, I imagine there was a bunch of them that the only pardon, the only escape pattern was towards the Eye of Terror, and so they had to get real good at fighting chaos. Ah, okay. Now, this presents so a quandary. If the Tyranids... So one of the biggest... Like disadvantages that Tyranids have is they can't fight psychic stuff, right? Not very well. Now the Zoanthropes they can put shit out, yeah, but they can't really fight it. It can't really affect them. But that's a that's as much of a weak spot as the Tyranids really have, right? But if this Kronos Splinter Fleet shows that they're able to start adapting to fighting chaos, there's a real fucking problem. Yeah, really. Now that also coincides with. The closest thing we have to what the end of the galaxy looks like is Sanguinius had a prophecy that showed the end of all time. And what he saw was the chaos, the what he, you know, the eternal enemy fighting against some Xenos horde that he had never seen before and didn't know of. Mm-hmm. And it is the Tyranids. So, like, the kind of working theory is at the end of the 40k universe will be the Tyranids versus chaos. Whoa. Who wins? Uh. So. There's some thoughts on that. Um, so the Tyranids operate off of biomass, but so do kind of chaos. Chaos draws its existence from sentient emotion. And if the Tyranids have completely cleared out this galaxy, what exactly is the sentient emotion that chaos that, is drawing from? Yeah, if they're running on nothing. Now, well, so that's not strictly true either, because also there is the idea that the chaos gods are also drawing souls from Warhammer's Age of Sigmar, Warhammer Fantasy. I know, mm. I think it's Sigmar isn't around anymore. Is it fantasy? I don't remember. Maybe both. A fantasy is, I think. Okay, so yeah. Sigmar is gone. But but these gods were the kind of the same in all of these different realities. So are they drawing their power from, from other, other galaxies realities. that they can funnel into the fight with the Tyranids? But also the Tyranids <laughs> are drawing resources from the other galaxies they've conquered. So my, so my answer is who the fuck knows? Yeah. yeah. I lean towards the Tyranids, but who knows? But right, yeah. I mean, the Tyranids don't, what they lose <laughs> to chaos, they can't, 
regain really can right they? but the chaos is not getting anything from them either in return so it's just they're a, not getting they're not getting any souls from right. killing the nids and then if the tyranids win like then what do they do move on to the next galaxy well if they run out of galaxies do they just eat themselves until they possibly then they die? then yeah. i imagine they move into the warp itself oh yeah. oh god they could do that that baby yeah wow yeah, right. I know. It might get boring for them out there. They're just yeah. like, well, on, the, on that cheery thought, Eric, do you got some thoughts on these names you were talking about? Oh, yeah. So let's get into some of the. Yeah, we're Eric's doing some comparisons again. <laughs> it's been a while since we've done that. Hell yeah. <laughs> so we're going to look at some of the names because, as Jerry pointed out earlier, um, these high fleets are named after um, established old world monsters in our world. Um, what I thought was interesting about Ouroboros is that um you know his origins in 40k are kind of obscure from my understanding we don't quite know much about it it might have inspired um uh because they have wings they look like devils oh we didn't so. cover or we forgot no. to cover ouroboros and, and tiamat. tiamat so yeah, why don't so we're you back go ahead way back yeah. why don't you give us a rundown of those while you're while you're talking about them okay um from what i remember of ouroboros they uh they're flighty boys. They fly a lot. Heavy, um, yep, heavy flight. Yeah, so they may have inspired like the in in the in forty k. It's kind of like the idea is maybe they inspired the stories of demons being like winged and gargoyles, yeah, and things gargoyles like that. and stuff. So um, I think the records are a little foggy on them. And what's neat about in our world, um, Ouroboros, it's a little foggy where. The idea that of the snake came symbol from. came from, yeah. Like, uh, there's a lot of ancient serpents in our time, and Ouroboros seems to be one of the older ones. And it's a snake biting its own tail, forming a circle. If you are unaware, and that's a symbol of a lot of things like eternity or renewal or eternal life and stuff like that. Or like in the negative, it's like you yeah are consuming, consuming itself. Yeah so, yeah, so greedy that it's consuming itself. Right, mm -hmm. which is probably more along the lines of what we're talking about here when it comes to Tyranids. Um, but another neat thing is the the word for Ouroboros comes from the Greek words for uh, tail and eating. So I think it's it's called the tail eater. Yeah, hmm. <laughs> so that's interesting. And uh, Tiamat, Tiamat is in our mythology um, often associated with the ocean and with the serpent. And uh, uh, she is the mother of all monsters. In Which is interesting because High Fleet Tiamat yes. is actually... Uh, well, Splinterfoot Tiamat is not out invading. It is actually completely sequestered itself to the Tiamat system. Yeah. And what we, the only thing we know is that a these have like diamond hardened chitin, so they're very defensive oriented. And on the, I'm going to call it Tiamat Prime. It's the head, the main planet of that system. They have a mega structure that is a conical shaped like tower that they are defending viciously. That we don't know what it is, but if like the mother, it could either be a birthing pod of some sort, or mm. they believe it could possibly be some sort of like radio signal that's bringing other Tyranid fleets. Oh, oh interesting. Yeah, it would work both ways. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But my, my thought is it's probably like cooking up or like just a really big Tyranid of some sort. Right. It's going to come out. <laughs> like, the, like, like, the or, like the Orc attack moon, only it's a Tyranid. Yeah, right. Tyranid. Just like a planet-sized Yeah. <laughs> That'd be nuts. Because, uh, yeah. Uh, I think Tiamat's from Mesopotamian mythology, so a really, really old one too. Um, and we'll move down the line. The Gorgon, 
is a neat one from Greek mythology. I'm sure we're all familiar with Medusa. Medusa was a gorgon. There right. It's it. a species of monster. Well, yes. Uh, yes. Because I think Medusa had at least two sisters that were also gorgons. She was just the immortal one. Um, <laughs> until she got, you know, beheaded. Yep. Yeah. But <laughs> and of that's course, also how you beat a high fleet. Ah, cut the head off. Nice. There we go. Um, we, then, of course, the Kraken. Uh, Needs no explanation. Yeah, the, the comparison is right there to be had. High Fleet Jormungandr. So Jormungandr is the world serpent. Um, also said to be biting its own tail because it's so big it wraps around the world and bites its own tail. And I kind of like the idea of, you know, because Jormungandr is under the ocean, often rests on the ocean floor and so it rises up. And I kind of like that with the the high fleet they come up out come of the ground and, yep. yeah what do we got hydra hydra is one for, another one from greek mythology you know cut off one head two more spring out you mm -hmm. know right and back. that goes you know hydra itself it's small and then sprouts many heads out yeah. of seemingly nowhere right yep so oh yeah there we go and it's it might also be kind of a fail safe against like you know any one particular tier tiered type being uh Too wiped strong. out yeah they're their genes are preserved in, in this the, other high fleet. Possibly. Yeah. Um, Leviathan. Leviathan. Ob obviously, it's yep. the largest. It's got the most for, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Size. A big sea creature. Behemoth is a land creature. So one of the few exceptions, most of these guys are either snakes or sea monsters. Which is funny because it actually appeared on a well, uh, ocean planet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it did, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that is funny. First contact. Oh. Uh. And then Kronos. Kronos. So this one kind of can. Uh, this is really the exception in a world of monsters. Kronos is more of a titan. Um, there's Kronos, who is the god of time, and then there's Kronos, who's the father of Zeus. And they may or may not be one in the same. I'm a little confused on that point. It's been a while since I've looked. Well, at hot stuff damn! Like this. Hey, comment section. Yeah, yeah I'm sure you guys can correct yeah. me. Yeah, um, but I do believe that they're separate entities. Um, and Kronos, father of Zeus, um, ate Zeus's siblings, you know, because he didn't want to be overthrown because that's what happened to Kronos with his dad. His dad ate all of his siblings, too. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know enough about Kronos. So Kronos does ranged attacks and they're anti-chaos. So the anti-chaos is kind of where I think the, the uh, comparison might be drawn because Kronos kind of helped forge the way of order in the Greek mythos, you know, fought against the forces of chaos. They're also the newest one out, so they might not so have might, full time to cook. Right. There might be more there that, that we don't necessarily know about. But he was kind of a monstery guy, too. He, you know, ate stuff cruelly and whatever. So there we go. It gave me a chance to talk about some of our our myths within our world. They're neat. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm thinking I'm thinking I'm going to place a bet right now. T Tiamat is cooking up a right big monster like a planet yeah like a planet nid yeah planet nid or something like that what you look at jerry uh i was thinking maybe Cronus's dad was chaos you might be right. uh, that would be interesting but i don't remember exactly hang on no i'm with you oh maybe not i think his dad was uranus the father uranus, sky which is father sky who was born of chaos i no, born of Gaia, who was born of chaos. Okay. Nope. It chaos was a, was a granddaddy. <laughs> it's a good thought. That was, yeah, that's a really good thought. I think that's a thought worth ending on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is by no means, again, we want to do an episode for each of the Hive fleets yep. and then a separate episode just for the Splinter fleets because they yep. do have their own stories. 
that are really cool. There's some books that are tied to them that will, mm-hmm. that'll definitely throw in some information. So, so this, this, this is, is by a chapter one. Right. Yeah. And of course, uh, to step out of lore hat for a second, apparently 10th edition, which is going to drop soon ish is going to start pushing the nids some more. So hopefully we get Ooh. some more stuff on them yeah. fresh off the pot. Yeah, and, hopefully so. And that'll push us push us into an episode two, three, four, whatever it takes. Yeah. Get ourselves some updates along the way, hopefully. hopefully. Right on. So right. so until next time, I'm Ben. I'm Eric. And I'm gonna go eat some swarma. Son of a bitch! <laughs>